<laughs> Take your Bibles and go with me to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. One of the truths about love as we have been working our way into the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and Paul's description of how love works. Uh, one of the things about love, the reality is that love often works in the background. You might think of your home computer that has a virus program attached to it, an antivirus program to be exact, that constantly works in the background. Maybe if you don't use your home computer too much anymore and you're stuck with your smartphone, uh, this will help you understand what I'm talking about. This past few days, Teresa and I were in Oklahoma City in order to work with my brother and his wife on some stuff, some plans relative to our folks. And um, I, I pulled out my cell phone because as we were trying to land in Oklahoma City on Thursday, there was some weather in the area. And so I pulled out my cell phone in Houston and went to a radar program, and immediately it uh, began to give me ads for the Houston area. And then when we got to Oklahoma City, I pulled it up at one point to see what was happening with the weather there, and uh, I started having ads for Oklahoma City. And so one of the realities, if you set certain notification settings and uh, find me kind of settings in your cell phone, it will work in the background, and it knows where you are, and there's a science to all of that, but the reality is we don't give much thought to that until it jumps up and hits us in the face. Love works like that. It works in the background. When it comes to relationships, we might think of that, the lyrics to that song from a number of years ago made famous by Bette Midler, You Are the Wind Beneath My Wings. It must have been cold there in my shadow. Love works in the background. So one of the things that we need to come to understand is, another way to say that is love doesn't always need to be out front. It doesn't need to be getting all of the attention. It doesn't have to have its say about certain things. It just kind of keeps investing itself in the relationships that you have in the lives of other people. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 5 helps us to understand this. Paul says this. I'll go back to verse 4, but we're in verse 5. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. Here's our text for the day. Love does not insist on its own way. Love refuses. This is me talking now. You're still looking in your, your Bibles, I see, so let me just make sure you know I'm not using a different Bible. Love refuses to let selfishness be the motive in its relationships. Sounds good, right? Well, it might sound good, but sometimes it's really difficult for us to put that to work in our everyday relationships. Let's, let's first drill down a little bit about what Paul is saying with this and the wording that he uses, and we'll spend a little bit of time trying to apply this in our relationships because this series is tied to enhancing the relationships of our lives using love as God intended it to be used there. Love does not insist on its own way. That's the English Standard Version. New International Version says it this way, love is not self-seeking. I like the way the message translates this little piece when it says, love, is, love isn't always me first. This is a characteristic. I would say it's the base root characteristic of agape love. And in Christian circles, a lot of times we make a big deal about the difference between agape and 
philos and eros and, you know, those other kinds of uses of the word love. Philos, phileo is tied to Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. And so we like to highlight those kind of distinctions that God distinctly represents agape love. And there's a pretty good argument for that although there are some other places we find in the Old Testament where the Greek translation uses agape in ways that we might be surprised. But the, boot, the base, the root uh, function of this particular word is that it de-emphasizes self. If we were to take the time right now to work our way entirely through this little passage in 1 Corinthians 13, we would find that all of them have some element of them that says, it is not about me, it is about you. I will invest myself in you. This is a good time for me to take you back to my definition of love, the working definition that we have. Love invests itself into its object, and in doing so, it elevates that other person to a level that they could never achieve on their own. My love and my relationship with my wife says that I will invest in her. Instead of looking for what she does for me, I invest in her, and in doing so, she achieves levels of life that she could never get to on her own. And in a marriage, if I do that with her and she does that with me, then both of us get to places we would never get to on our own. That's the picture of agape love as it is described in 1 Corinthians 13. And in this little piece here, even though it's the root of this term, Paul now takes us to a different point of thinking than what our world seems to want to use when it says stuff about love. Love is not inherently selfish. It is inherently selfless, to be exact. There's two elements to this. Let's take the verse apart very quickly. First of all, as I've been saying, love is not selfish. It does not operate from a motive of self-promotion. It is not always looking for what I can get. And one of the... One of the, the um, the pollution elements of the way our world tends is often in our world, if we don't get that kind of love from somebody else, we are prone to manipulate in order to get it from them. Either we manipulate circumstances or we manipulate the person themselves. And Paul reminds us here that love is not selfish, but it takes it, he takes it a step further. Again, in the English Standard Version, here's what he says. It does not insist on its own way. It's one thing to just kind of be normally selfish. We all have those people in our homes because you're in your home. <laughs> I'm not trying to hack on you or anything like that. That's just reality. That's how we function. That's the sin nature in us. It is mostly about us until God changes us and transforms us out of that. But this word ramps it up. Love does not insist on its own way. This is saying, I want it my way to the extreme. Let me give you an example of this. I know of a person who years ago, when his boys were alive, and, or they're still alive, but at home, uh, in the Dallas Cowboys football game would be broadcast on TV. Now, let me just tell you, if there's ever a time to be selfish, it's when the Cowboys are playing. No, that's not true. But this guy was such a Dallas Cowboys fan 
that he would park himself in his chair with the TV directly across the living room from him, and anytime anybody in the family, his wife, his sons, anybody who happened to be visiting in the house, if they were in that room with him and needed to cross in front of the TV to get to a different side of the room, he made them crawl on the ground so that they didn't interrupt his viewing of the Dallas Cowboys. We all can understand that, right? (laughs) That's a picture. By the way, those boys to this day remember that about their dad. They don't remember a single game about the Dallas Cowboys played during that time. We may feel like we're justified in our selfishness and our insistence on having it our way. We may feel that way. But Paul says that's not love. We might say it in terms of our series here, that kind of love doesn't work. It's not at work and it doesn't effectively work and so we need to get to a better point of reference. But before we come to that, let me just make sure that we draw this down because remember, we're talking in a series here about our own relationships and especially those inside the home. So let's just kind of, just kind of think together here on how many of the arguments that we have in our homes grow out of a selfish and sometimes an insistence on having it our own way. For instance, which way is a toilet paper roll supposed to hang? All right, so that one sounded a little bit too close to home. Let me see if I can change it. You know, I didn't know. I lived on my own for a number of years, and uh, that was enough for me to realize I needed help in life. And Teresa came along, you know, God honored me with with her. Uh, Here's what I didn't know. Until I got married, I did not know that a bed, yeah, she just said be careful. Uh, (laughs) I did not know that you're supposed to make up a bed when you're not using it in the middle of the day. Did you know that? I had no idea that the sheets would rot if you just left it unmade through the course of the day. I I used to be very uncultured. She has helped me more than you can even imagine. (laughs) So when she goes out of town for a week or so, you can just decide whether I make up the bed while she's gone or not. I do. Here's another one for you. Am I hitting anywhere close to your home yet? Here's another one for you. You ever argue about the proper way to load a dishwasher? Now, let me just stop. To all the men, here's a public service announcement for you. There is this appliance in your kitchen that looks like a machine. It's not a cabinet. It looks like a machine because it is a machine. And it's made to receive dirty dishes. And you put them in there and a little soap, and it'll automatically wash those for you. Now, what, what most of us, don't, some families, I've, I've, you'd be surprised at some of the stuff I've heard or lived through in my own self uh, through the years, but uh, there is a proper way to load the dishwasher. Everybody doesn't know that. And so often when I go to the dishwasher, I have to rearrange it so that it's right. That's because I'm OCD about that. Or CDO if you're really OCD, but that's another thing. Maybe those don't get you, but this one might. Does your car 
men, if you do the driving, does your car have a set of brakes on the other side, in the passenger side? <laughs> now, this is all in good-natured fun, okay? You just need to know, Teresa and I don't fight about this kind of stuff. But a lot of people do. And I suspect that if you just spend, I, I took five minutes in putting that little piece of this sermon together because they just come like that. Whether it's in my own experience or the stuff that I see on TV, one of the reasons a lot of those sitcoms that are supposed to be funny uh, draw audiences is because they do things on there that tap into real-life situations in homes across America. Love does not insist on its own way. It does not manipulate people. It does not manipulate circumstances And in a husband and wife relationship, love regularly doesn't work because we choose to be selfish. Let's take it from married life into parenting life for a moment. I was telling this to somebody not too long ago. We had a time in our life when one of our sons was already up and out of high school and was in the job market and going to school. And uh, he had a particular pastime that he was involved in that kept him up through much of the night, most nights. And uh, the rule at our house was if you're going to live in our house, you have to either be going to school or have a job or both. And uh, because you're an adult, you have to get yourself up and you have to get yourself out and you have to get yourself on. But one of the things, the standing rules that we had in our house was as long as our kids were living in our house, they had to be part of the life of our church. And we had some parameters that we put on them, and as they got older, we reduced the parameters down. But one we never got rid of was one, if you live in my house, you go to church on Sunday morning. You're part of what we do on Sunday morning. And uh, so our son got to be where it was too hard for him to get up, and it became this battle every week. And Teresa would be the one at home getting them together. And week after week, she would come and frustrated because she couldn't get this guy out of bed. And Um, I said, well, let's do this. Let's let him know that it's up to him, but he's still required. So I I caught him. I said, here's the deal. You must be in church on Sunday morning. Not late. You must be there. And uh, he said, okay. And so the next Sunday he got up. Well, he didn't get up. That was the problem. Teresa got up, told him it's time to get ready to go to church. Let's go. Went back in. As she was leaving, she said, we're going to church. And she left. And I got home. Well, I saw her at church. I said, where's called him by name. And she said, I don't know. He was in bed when I left. That was a great sermon for me that day, just so you know, that (laughs) speaking of love is not selfish and doesn't insist on its own way. So when I got home, he was up and I said, "Uh, I didn't see you in church today. Where were you? And he said, "Uh, mom left me. (laughs) I said, that doesn't answer my question. Why weren't you in church today? And he said, Mom left. I said, I didn't ask you that. I asked you why you were not in church. He said, well, I didn't have a ride. I said, the the, the stipulation is not that you get in the car and ride. The stipulation is that you be at church. And having a ride to church is a gift. It's a privilege. But it doesn't change the fact that if I said you have to be in church and you missed your ride, you should have known that you had to get up and run to church if that's what it took. Now, I use that as an example not to introduce problems into your family, 
but as a point of reference to let you see just how much of a problem this is. Because I was insisting on my way with him. Was it justified or not? We could have a discussion about that. I was insisting on my way with him, and he was insisting on his way with us. Let me tell you something. When selfishness and insistence on selfishness begins to square off in a relationship, love doesn't work there. Oh, it can work there, but when we act selfishly, we marginalize the relationship because it has to be about me and having it my way. So here's a truth I want to hang on to that for you as we take this last step into this message. There is a real struggle that occurs at the intersection of love and personal autonomy. Let me say that again. Because I think this is the the key for us understanding how to make this work in a relationship. There is a real struggle that occurs at the intersection of love and personal autonomy. Love nudges me and sometimes shoves me into action on behalf of the other person. Love, when it works in my life, will not allow me to stand back on the sidelines when there is something that can help this other person. Love works. It is consistently at work in the relationships that we have. But the danger point of that is, and I don't want you to miss this at all, so listen with both ears for a moment. The danger in that is inherent in my saying I love and I want to work and I want to help with you is that ultimately that means that I believe there's something lacking in you. There's something that you need and I'm the one to fix it. You see how how kind of touchy this is. Love says, I'm going to be investing in you to help you reach places you could never go. But tied into that is a belief that says, you're not going to make it on your own and you need me to help you. But we have to then avoid slipping into arrogance. That's the last love message we talked about. Because I can be so convinced, in that case with my son, I was so convinced that there were deeper lessons for him than just making it to church. You know, our lives are full of people who expect us to make it on time. For instance, if you have a job, that they kind of expect you to show up. If you just don't show up on Monday because you missed your ride, they're going to say, well, we'll get somebody who can find their ride. There are life lessons attached to all those kind of things. And so as a father with him, I was working to help him understand some things. There was a, a lacking piece of his growth and development that I needed to help him with. But it got down to where it was, well, the first time he smarted off to his mom about that, for me, then it became a matter of, I will control you. Love does not insist on its own way. It's subtle, this little dangerous point, but it's very real for us. You see, the deal is, if that other person doesn't see the need that I see, or they don't want my help, with that and what do you do with that I get this a lot in counseling every minister does I'm sure but through the years I've run into these things and a lot of my training through seminary was in counseling and so one of the things that they taught us was you cannot help somebody who doesn't want help 
And I've learned that through the years. And early in my ministry, I would have people come to me and say, boy, I just wish you'd talk to my husband. He is a sorry dude, and he needs help. And that ministerial part of me that, <laughs> that might have gravitated towards a little bit of pride, oh, well, I'm the pastor. I can help anybody. Well, yeah, sure you can. You just keep believing that. And so I would, and they would say, well, if you'll just call him. So I'd give him a call. The guy didn't know him. It's like a blindside hit on the football field. He had no idea the preacher was going to call him. And he had no intention of sitting down with me so that I could help him with a problem he didn't think he had. And so I learned through the years to say, you have him call me as a sign that he really is interested in having a discussion. And then I'll help him. I'll break my neck to help him if that's the case. So what happens is that if we in love want to help somebody and they don't want that kind of help, that puts us in a bit of a bind. That's when love needs to work in the background. Jesus did this with the religious leaders. You know, at one point he refers to them as, oh, you blind guides, you whitewashed tombs who say they want to help, but all they really do is load people up with religious garbage. Did Jesus love them? Clearly the answer to that is yes. But did Jesus cram Jesus down their throats? Well, maybe I should explain that terminology because this is one of the places I think that we as Christians get into trouble in our world today. I hope you'll really hear what I'm saying with this. We believe... And from personal experience, we can say we know that Jesus transforms life. He is our fix, the correction for sin and its course in our life. Only he offers that. And the life that he offers to us because of what he's done for us and the Holy Spirit at work in us who enlivens us and takes us and you know lops off and sands off those rough edges of our lives and makes us more and more like Jesus Christ. That part of us by experience can look at people who are suffering through life under the curse of sin and go to them and in love say, you need Jesus Christ. But so many of the people... And if we're not careful in love, or at least under the banner of love, we can try to cram Jesus down their throats and in the process do more damage in that relationship for God's glory than what we can even imagine. It takes wisdom and it takes discernment. All of those things that the Holy Spirit brings to us in our relationships with other people. Where's the love in that? Here's an example of that. I had lunch with a guy before I moved here. And it was kind of a, one of those series of lunches that I had and just kind of a, a one-on-one, you know, a couple of friends, but also church members. And, um, and this guy on this one particular occasion, he was just riding the, the waitress. I mean, he was, he was rude. Nothing was right. He just kept pushing her. And then just before we left, when he paid the bill... He handed her a gospel tract, and she said, he said, do you know Jesus? He'll change your life. And I looked at her as she looked at him, and the way he had treated her through that whole process meant that there was not a way in the world she was going to buy into anything that he was selling. 
Love does not insist on its own way. And that's hard for us sometimes because when it comes to our faith and that mandate that we have to go out and share Christ, ambassadors for Christ, Paul says, and we go out and make disciples, as Jesus said, in doing that, we have to let love work in the background because it informs the decisions that we make. And sometimes those relationships that we build need to be developed and fostered so that they can grow into the ability to hear a witness about Jesus Christ. So sometimes we have to be content to let love work in the background. Maybe it's in a relationship that you have, spouse, a child, a neighbor, coworkers. You know what they need, at least you think you do. They just won't hear it. So let love work in the background. Don't be selfish. Ask the Holy Spirit for the discernment you need to know when to say and what to say what needs to be said. Let love work in the background. I said this way, love continually plows the ground with other people, preparing them to receive God's truth at the appropriate time. Don't kill a relationship over being selfish especially if you really can help that person somewhere down the road. So how do we pull that off? It's a simple answer. I don't think it's simplistic, but it is simple. To let love work in the background, we have to walk with Jesus. He is the best example if ever, that ever was. He is the best example that ever was of patiently loving and letting love work in relationships so that at the appropriate time, God can water that ground that holds that seed of the good news of Jesus Christ. And it'll turn relationships around. Husbands, wives, parents, you find yourself arguing a lot? Step back and see if it's not because somebody or both somebody's are insisting on their way. Walk with Jesus. Learn from him. Be his student. And then listen for the voice of the Holy Spirit as he walks you through a world that is dynamic and always changing. And watch what he does through you when love works in the background. Let's pray. And as we pray, the question is, do you know, have you personally experienced the love of Jesus Christ in your life? Do you know him? Do you walk with him? This invitation time may well be designed just for you today, on this day, to respond to the call that Jesus Christ offers to you, a call to life, a call to forgiveness, a call to peace. We're not trying to talk you into doing anything. We're just making an offer, the offer of life that Jesus alone can give to you. And if you want that life, this invitation time is for you. We'll tell you what that means. You want to come down and we'll visit with you. You catch us at the back afterwards. We'll step off to the side. But don't walk out of this building today if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior and the transforming love that he has for you. Most of us have probably trusted Christ as our Savior, but we've allowed selfishness to creep in, and it marks the way our lives and our relationships are run. Today's a great time.
to turn that around. Somebody in your family needs you to turn that around. So, Father, as we come to this time of invitation, we pray that you'd move in the hearts of people. If it's to have people come join our church, to make decisions for you, to rededicate their lives, to just quietly where they are in the pew, to say, God, I need help with this. We ask that you would be glorified in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing, please.